going to ask you to turn to the book of Joel. Joel, J-O-E-L. If you turn there, go to chapter 2 as we get started this morning. Some of you think that, you know, a bad winter storm is lousy, and it's a, it's a bad thing. Some of you think COVID is a really bad thing. Well, let me give you an idea what a really bad day is, okay? If this were you running down the street, that would really be a bad day. Or maybe if you were one of those penguins, this would be your bad day. Or maybe if you were this car driver that just ran over the stop sign, that wouldn't be your better of days. Or this is your pet. Your pet's having a really bad day. Or this cat's having a bad day. We can look at this mouse. He's having a bad day. Or maybe your bad day is following somebody who's carrying two outhouses. Those poor people in that convertible behind them, they're going to have a really bad day. There's a situation that happened years ago that a bomber who was sending out bombs in the mail... He had put several packages together. Some of them weren't bombs. And he had, he had done these letter bombs, sent them off. But the one letter bomb he sent off, he didn't put enough postage on it. So several weeks later, the postage came back. And he forgot which package it was. And when he opened it up, he was seriously injured. Now that's called having a bad day. When people think they're having a bad day, it, it is almost like what the Bible describes of a fella it's in the book of Amos, a fellow who is being chased by a lion. And as he's being chased by a lion, he runs into a bear. And then he turns and runs from the bear and he goes into his house and it gets worse. Look what I mean. In all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through you. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord, for what good is the day of the Lord to you? It will be in darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion and a bear met him, as though he went into the house, leaned his hand on the wall, and an adder bit him. That's having a bad day. The bad day he's talking about in this text and he's, and he's illustrating is the bad day that you and I refer to as the tribulation. The tribulation is a time period that the Bible talks about that's going to be a future event to us. And if we were going to give it a simple definition, this would be it. The tribulation is the last seven years just prior to Jesus Christ coming back to this earth. It is the most horrible time in all of history as the Bible describes it. As we look into the scriptures this morning and get a little bit of an idea as our first part of this discussion, it's a time period that you have heard about. It has those terms of Antichrist, 666, uh, the four horsemen, the apocalypse, the Armageddon. All of that has to do with the tribulation period that we're going to be discussing. And so when we look at it in Scripture, there's a variety of different names given or titles given to that time period. All of them indicate gloom and doom, Jacob's trouble, indignation, time of trouble, dreadful day, beginning of sorrows, great tribulation, day of wrath, wrath. The one that shows up the most frequent is day of the Lord. The day of the Lord. It is one that, that oftentimes, and again, read your context, but the majority of times it's referring to this time period that we call the tribulation. In that passage we read from Amos about that man having a bad day, that text is about the day of the Lord. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light? You know, it's going to be like you think you're getting away from a lion, then you run into a bear, and then you get bit by a snake. And so he talks about another passage of Scripture about this time being really a terrible, terrible time. It is near and hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out, that day is a day of wrath, even a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation, desolation, darkness, gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. The book of Joel describes it. And if you're there and following along as I read, 
Joel, the first few, the, the uh, chapter two, the first several verses, it's describing the day of the Lord. It's it's talking about what it's going to be like for the Jews in that period of time, up and including Armageddon. Follow along as we just read through. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land land of Israel tremble for the day of the Lord comes for it is nigh at hand it's a day of darkness and of gloominess a day of clouds and of thick darkness as the morning spread upon the mountains a great people and a strong there hath not been ever like neither shall be any more after it even to the years of many generations a fire devours before them this is descriptive of the people who are going to come after Israel the Gentile powers, Antichrist leading them, who are attacking Israel and trying to wipe out the Jews. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is as the Garden of Eden before them, and behind them, after they're done with it, desolate wilderness. Yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses, and as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the top of mountains shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire that devours the stubble, as a strong people set in battle array. Before their face, the people shall be much pain. The people, the Jews, will suffer greatly. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. They shall march every one on his way, and they shall not break their ranks. This army that's going to come with Antichrist leading after the Jews, it's going to appear invincible. And when it reaches Jerusalem, whoa, watch out. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in their path, and when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. Remember what Armageddon is about? It's all those armies gathering together to fight the Jews and to fight against God. And we read... The Lord shall utter his voice before his army, for his camp is very great, for he is strong that executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very ter terrible, and who can abide in it? It's describing that time period, that, that, that seven-year period and how it's going to climax with an actual conflict between God and the human armies. It's a horrible time period. Daniel describes it this way. He says, at that time, Michael, he's the angel who defends Israel. Michael shall stand up, the great prince, angel, who stands watch over the sons of your people, Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation of Israel, even to this time or that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. He is telling us from Daniel's prophecy that this tribulation period is unprecedented in trials and struggles. But the Jews will experience ultimate deliverance at the end of this. They'll get born again. That's the same thing that's mentioned here in the book of Jeremiah. So why do I see every man with his hands on his tummy like a woman who's in labor? It's going to be a painful time period. And all the faces turn pale. Alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. And it is the time of Jacob's trouble, the Jews' trouble. But he, the Jews, shall be saved out of it. Jesus Christ, when he talked about it, he described the tribulation period. He said that then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor, nor never shall, ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would survive. 
He goes on, but for the elect's sake, the days will be shortened. That is for the Jews' salvation. The ones who have survived that seven years, God's going to shorten the time to rescue those chosen people. He again mentioned it in the Gospel of Mark. Same idea. That it is a terrible, terrible, terrible time. It's going to be worse than the flood. That's what he says. There's never been a day so catastrophic. And this flood was catastrophic. He's going to describe it as worse than dark ages for what happens with plagues and all those problems. For the Jews, it's going to be worse than when they were attacked in 70 AD and they were slaughtered by the thousands by the Romans. It's going to be worse than Hitler's Holocaust for the Jews. It's a horrible time. It's a terrible time. And when we come to discussing it, besides saying what we already did, some questions come up. You know, what is this like? Why is it so bad? Or how do we know that it's just seven years and not seven days or months or decades? We need to answer that. How close are we to that time, this time period? Who's the major characters? We need to discuss that. Who is Antichrist? What will he do? What's the significance of 666, that number? Uh, will anybody be able to get saved during the tribulation? That's a very important question. Because some here or some who are watching at home may say, well, wait a minute. You know, I'll just wait until that time period, then I'll get saved. We'll talk about that. Uh, there's this idea, will believers be on earth during this time period? How can a person avoid it? So when we start answering the questions, let's do this first one. When will it begin and how long will it last? I've already given you a definition saying it's seven years, but I want to prove it from Scripture. It's one thing for me to say it. It's another thing to you see it from the Word of God. Many of you are familiar with this, but if you're not, please jump to the book of Daniel with me. And in the book of Daniel, mark down things in this passage that are so important. Let me start with this thought. When Jesus was here on earth, he was talking about the tribulation, and he talked about it being future. So it didn't happen in the Old Testament. It didn't happen during the life of Christ. When the book of Revelation is written, right around 95 AD, all the predictions are still talking future. So it's got to be sometime after the completion of the Bible. We get an idea from the book of Daniel when in what time period in human history it is. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, if you weren't there uh, with us last week, then please follow along. If you were, let this sink down a little bit more. Because Daniel chapter 9, it is a prophecy that is basically like your password to get into your computer, your phone. Without, without Daniel chapter 9, you can't understand the rest of prophecy. If you lose this password, you don't understand this text, you're going to be lost in all of your building and understanding of, uh, of Bible prophecy. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 through 27, talks about what the future is going to be like. What happens in this text is Daniel's reading the book of Jeremiah for his devotions. And as he's reading the book, he reads that Jeremiah predicted that the Jews would be in exile outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, for 70 years. Well, Daniel had been taken in 605, and the Jews had been taken away, and the city destroyed shortly thereafter, and now he's reading scriptures right around 536 B.C. Seventy year, 69 years have passed, and he's reading the prophecy that says 70 years they get back in the land, and he's wondering, oh man, we're going to get back. Is it going to happen anytime? And when we go back into the land next year, will you set up your kingdom here on earth with Messiah? That's the question that Daniel asks at the beginning of the chapter. 
God is responding through his angel, giving him information and answering his question. The question being, when will God set up his kingdom on earth? When will Messiah come back and rule and reign on earth? And in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24, 25, 26, 27, he gives him a countdown. He says, here, no, that we're, we're going to get to Christ's coming. We're going to get to the kingdom. But know this, from now until that coming kingdom... There is 490 years that are prophetic years that I have designated. That's what we pick up in Daniel chapter 9, starting with verse 24. Seventy-sevens are determined upon your people, the Jews, and upon Jerusalem. Then there will be the finishing of the transgression, an end of sins, making reconciliation, bringing in the everlasting righteousness, sealing up the vision of prophecy, anointing the most holy. Those are all talking about then Christ will rule and reign on earth. Then there will be perfect, perfect peace. It will be the kingdom. And so he gives him more information. He says, now Daniel, figure it out. You're a smart man. The countdown will start with this one event. A decree to go back and rebuild Jerusalem, and rebuild Israel. He mentions that in chapter 25. He says, from the decree, there is seven sevens determined. And he makes that comment. Seven sevens are 49 years. And then after the seven sevens, he says there's 62 sevens. Or, put the math, there's another 434 years. Altogether, he says, from the decree... When it starts, there's going to be 483 years. The seven, group of seven sevens, 62 sevens. And then sometime after that, he makes the comment, Messiah will come. How do I know that? Well, look at the text. He says, then after the 62, Messiah shall be cut off. Messiah can't be cut off until Messiah comes. So Messiah comes, then Messiah is sacrificed. The word cut off is he is, he is literally devastated. He is brutalized. It's a very harsh term, like Christ being crucified. But he says he doesn't do this for himself. He's doing this for others. Well, we know that was fulfilled. We know that after the, the, that the decree was made, 483 years went by, and sometime after that, Jesus showed up, and then Jesus died. He also adds to, he says, after that, another event the people of the prince shall come and destroy the city and the sanctuary. We know that happened too. We know that shortly after Jesus died, several decades later, the Romans came in and destroyed the nation of Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. They tore down the temple. And from 70 AD on, the Jews were out of the land of Israel for decades, generations, hundreds of years we also know that in this prophecy it says, unto the end, desolations will come upon the Jews. Well, historically that happened. After 70 AD, the Jews without land, they moved all over. They went some into Eastern Europe, Western Europe, and over the generations they suffered persecution by the Spanish, by the British. They suffered persecution by the, um, by the Russians. They had great persecution in Germany. You know all that history. And then he says... There's going to be, after a period of time, there's going to be the final seven years. The final seven years he talks about, and again, keep in mind, this has to do with the Jews. 
This is how God is dealing with the nation of Israel. All of these 490 years. He says he's going to again return to working with the Jews in the final seven years. And it's going to start when the prince shall confirm a covenant with many for the last seven years. And so we look at that and go, okay, how does that help us out figuring out the timetable? Well, understand that what he's telling us is there's a final seven years and then Christ will come back. And we look at that and we mentioned this last week. For the Jews to sign a covenant with Antichrist, some prophecy had to be fulfilled. They had to get back into their land. They had to become a nation once again. They can't sign a treaty if there's no nation, if there's no entity. And for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after their destruction in 70 AD, the Jews were a non-entity. They were a people group, but they weren't a nation. They were an ethnic group, but they weren't a, a government. They were just people floating around. But then we found out that what happened in 1948, they finally became a nation again. And once they were a nation, now they're able to sign a treaty. And then we add to that that what it means is that that prophecy, that, that in, that, um, in uh, what's the word I want to use? Um, what he was implying there was that the nation was outside. There was nobody for 1,900 years, but then by a miracle of God, they get back in. In fact, and let me add to this. If you study history, Israel was in the land in 70 A.D., during the life of Jesus, they were in the land. They were called Israel, but they weren't free and independent. They haven't been free and independent for hundreds of years before Jesus. The last time the Jews were a free and independent nation was before Daniel's time, in Daniel's time, 605. There was a little bit of time under the Hasmoneans where they, they had a little bit of self-rule, but as a whole they didn't. So it's 1948 is the first time in hundreds and thousands of years that the Jews become an independent nation. So the, the covenant couldn't have been signed before then, before 1948. They had to be returned to the land and in the land. And let me add to that, not only 1948, but 1967. 1967 is when, though they were in the land since 48, they didn't have Jerusalem. They only became, got control of Jerusalem in 67. So prior to that time, there couldn't have been this treaty signed. The treaty is sometime after 67, sometime in our lifetime, and we still haven't seen this major treaty to kick off the tribulation. As we look at it, we say, okay, it's still future to us. Probably, most likely, by all the indications we gave you from prophecy last week, it could be any day now. It could be in our lifetime. Certainly looks like it's very soon. But here they are, the Jews getting there. Now, some of you might be asking this question. It's a very good question. You read your Bibles, and it says 70 weeks are determined. 62 weeks, 7 weeks, the final week. In my Bible, it keeps on saying weeks. Then why do I keep saying years? That we're talking 490 years, not 490 weeks. Let me explain that real quick, because you're going to be challenged by this. Those who, who um, criticize Bible interpretation, literal interpretation, will run to this and say, you keep saying 490 years, that doesn't make any sense to me, because it says weeks. Literally and actually, the Hebrew word that is translated in the English as weeks, it is the word sevens. That's the Hebrew word. So it literally reads, like in verse 24, 70 sevens are determined upon your people and upon the city. Note verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and rebuild 
unto the Messiah, the Prince, there shall be seven sevens. And 62 and two sevens. And so he goes through, that's the literal interpretation from the Hebrew, that he's talking about sevens. So how do we know, and why do I say it's years? Because when Daniel is reading this passage, he's thinking years. Put it in context. I've already mentioned he's reading predictions that said we're out of the land for 70 years. And now God is going to be talking about sevens again and using it a lot. Seventy years is in his mind. We have just one more year left. Okay, there's going to be a decree, and then there's going to be 490-something years. Watch how this, this all fits together. The reason there are 70 years that they were kicked out of the land is that up to Daniel's time, the Jews did not observe Sabbath years 70 times. That's the every seventh year that you're supposed to let the land lie at rest and basically give everything and trust the Lord. They haven't celebrated 70 Sabbath years. And so God took them out of the land and said, okay, I'm going to get back what you owe me. You owe me 70 Sabbath years. The land's going to remain fertile for 70 years. Well, add up 70 Sabbath years that occur every seventh year. How many years in total is he talking about? 490 years. For 490 years prior to Daniel, they did not observe any Sabbath years. So in Daniel's writing, Daniel's looking back at 490 years. And in this passage, he's talking about 490 sevens. Okay? Or 490 something, I should say. 490. 490 years, what's the common sense mean? If it was looking back 490 years, we're looking forward 490 years. In fact, let's expand that, okay? Let's go to the middle of the passage, okay? In the middle of the text, he makes a comment, and you've got to jump down to verse 27. It's talking about Antichrist shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That's the final seven. What happens then? After the covenant is agreed upon for the final seven years, he makes this prophecy. In the middle of it, two things are going to happen. Look at verse 27. Antichrist will cause the sacrifice and the oblation to cease. In other words, the Jews will no longer be able to go into the temple, no longer be able to make any sacrifices. And there will be an abomination of desolation. Jesus talked about that abomination of desolation. That is when Antichrist goes into the temple desecrates the temple, and according to Second Thessalonians chapter 2, will sit on the Ark of the Covenant and say he's God Almighty. That's other prophecy that brings it together. So what we have is, we have the final seven. In the middle of that final seven, Antichrist will exalt himself as God. And then he will go after the Jews like never before. Let's jump to other passages that describe that second three-and-a-half-year period where Antichrist is so powerful. We go to the book of Revelation, and we talk about those second three-and-a-half, and watch what it describes it. It's a period of 42 months. In Revelation chapter 11, verse 3, it's 1,260 days. 42 months, or 1,260 days, equals three-and-a-half years by the lunar system. 
Okay, 30 days to a month. It's three and a half years that we're talking about. It talks about 1,260 days. We talk about a time, times, and a half a time, three and a half. Putting all these prophecies together, you end up with the idea that we've got to be talking about years. Daniel was looking back 490 years, now forward 490 prophetic years. When they take the last seven, it's divided up into two halves, and the Bible prophecy says one of those halves is 42 months, 1260 days. Folk, we're talking years. There's no doubt about it. You can, you can have others challenge, but if they're going to put all the prophecies together, we're talking about the tribulation period lasting seven years. And so when we talk about that time period, we say, okay, we're, we're talking about years. How close are we? Go back to last week's message. That'll answer that. Okay, here's one. What will it be like? Let's deal with this one here for what time we have this morning. Let's set up a little chart. You can put this on the back of your paper if that's helpful. Let's do a timeline. We're living as the church. We're living sometime. It's coming up. We don't know how long. Is it next week, next month, next year, next decade? We don't know. But sometime coming up, there's going to begin the seven years. We know that it ends with Jesus coming back to earth and setting up his kingdom. We know that it begins the seven years with Antichrist making a treaty with Israel. We know that in the middle, Antichrist will break the treaty and he'll go after the Jews. So we understand that in the first three and a half years, it's relatively peaceful for the Jews. Second three and a half years, they're under real attack. They're going to be the focus of his attention. He's going to try to annihilate them. Joel chapter 2. That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 24. Jesus said, you shall hear of wars, rumors of wars. Da, 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 da. You're going to hear about them. But Jesus said, after the abomination of desolation, the middle of the tribulation, flee to the hills. Run. Because they're going to try to wipe you out. And if it wasn't for the elect's sake, everybody would be wiped out. He's going to intervene because they're going to be under such severe attack. So that's your basic timeline. But what we know from the book of Revelation and other prophecies that during these seven years, there is also worldwide, there's going to be a variety of different judgments from heaven. There's going to be the sealed judgments. That's a set of seven judgments that come against planet earth. We know that there's going to be the trumpet judgments. We know that there's going to be the bowl or vile judgments. So for our study this morning, let's just do this. Let's just take an overview and let's think of what the seal, the trumpet, the bowls are, are going to be like, what Jesus said this time period is like, what the book of Revelation says this time period is like, and get just a little bit of a glimpse, how bad will it get? Do we think we're having a bad day? Whoa! What will that time period be like? And here's what we find. Okay, we find again, it's like no other time in human history. It'll be the worst seven years in a, in a condensed fashion that the world has ever seen. The reason it is that is because of the many wars that will take place. Now, I know and you know there's been wars all along. But this is describing a time period where the wars are like never before. Jesus said, you will hear wars and rumors of wars, nations against nations. He says, kingdom against kingdom. In Revelation 6, one of the seals, there went out another horse that was red. Power was given to take peace from the earth, that people should kill one another. And they were given a great sword. We know... The battles that take place in the Middle East, we know there's one at the very beginning of this tribulation period. That's why they sign a treaty. Because Ezekiel says the Jews will win, but they will burn the weapons for seven years. It has to be at the beginning. 
We know that in the middle of the tribulation Gog and Magog will attack. They will try to wipe out the Jews and Antichrist. Antichrist will suffer a deadly wound. Revelation chapter 12. He will suffer a deadly wound, look like he's dying, but he'll come back to life. And when he does, all of a sudden there's going to be either hail or fire from the, that will come down and wipe out the, the Gog, armies of Gog and Magog. We know that the Battle of Armageddon, which is a series of battles, but eventually it culminates in one battle right outside Jerusalem. We know that that's a huge battle. That's what we read in Joel 2. We know that it's started by the demonic spirits that Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet put out. And the Battle of Armageddon, don't be mistaken, the Battle of Armageddon isn't about just wiping out the Jews. Look what it says. To gather them to battle that great day uh, against God Almighty. It will come to a point where people will think they want to get rid of God. And they will fight him. And so we have these great wars like never before. And again, I, we know that in history there was warfare. We know that the bulk of human history, there's been very few years there hasn't been some recorded uh, war going on. In American history, of our, of our time since 1776, only 21 years of peace. Otherwise we've been at war, some type of conflict, police action. We understand that. We understand that it's got, but this time period will be world wars. World War I was something very unusual. World War II was something very unusual. This time period will not be some minor conflict. It'll be a war of all nations taking place multiple times. It's going to be a terrible time. Worse than ever before in a condensed period of time. We also know not only warfare, but there's going to be natural disasters. It's not going to be like they're going to predict snow falling and then nothing happens. This is God predicting. This is like when God said a flood is coming, a flood came. So this isn't AccuWeather or Weather Channel. This is God speaking about disasters. And God is saying when it comes to disasters, there's going to be earthquakes. There's going to, Jesus said, there'll be earthquakes in the, even the most remotest of places. There'll be the one great earthquake. And you and I know this. We can do the science. We can do the study. America has done it. The U.S. Geological Society has done the study that in this period since 2000, the number of earthquakes that are being seen in remote places is exponentially rising like never before in history. I'm not saying we're in the tribulation, but the planet is in labor pains already for the great earthquakes. It's already gearing up for it. We, we know this. We know that when it comes to natural disasters, it says the angel will sound hail, fire mingled with blood will be cast upon the earth and a third part of the trees will burn up. When there's forest fires in California, does it, does it cause problems? Okay, for the people living nearby, absolutely. But does it create even problems all over with the smoke and the haze? We know that's true. We know that there's difficulty. We know that if all of a sudden there was a loss of green grass, that would be a challenge. It would affect us, it would affect animals, it would affect all types of people. He goes on, he says, men will be scorched with great heat. All of a sudden, during that time period, we will have global warming, and it'll be real. It'll be global warming like never before. That there's going to be heat scorching people. We know that in the stars, the meteors, the comets, whatever they may be, are going to strike planet Earth. We've watched Hollywood films. We've seen how they take, you know, a, a, a comet is coming towards planet and it's going to cause, cause great devastation. That's going to be real. It won't be Hollywood in that time period. He describes the idea that the sun will become as uh, dark like sackcloth, the moon blood. Is that because of all the, the fires and the earthquakes and the volcanic ash? I don't know. But it's a disaster. And how does that affect people? It's going to be a horrible time. 
Revelation talks about another one of the different judgments. A great mountain burning with fire cast into a sea and a third part of the waters will become like blood. Well, when all of a sudden you have that devastation, the creatures in the sea are going to die. And even says a third part of sea life will die. Can you imagine going to the beach at those moments? With all the wash up of the animals and how bad it'll sink. And then the shipping industry is destroyed. Can you imagine the economy when all of a sudden they can't be shipping across nations? What is the major item that they ship now that is so dependent? Oil. Can you imagine how this is going to be affecting? And he says a third part of the shipping industry is going to be destroyed. Then he goes on, he says, okay, that's the seawaters. And he talks about another judgment that a third part of the rivers and upon the fountains, that's the fresh waters. They're going to be affected by it. Okay, we were talking with the Hawes this week, and they were describing how there in Papua New Guinea that they needed to put a water filtering system in. Uh, why? How bad were the streams and the waters you were drinking? Well, he said you could even see the parasites floating around in the streams. He said there was a worm that would be about the size of your pinky, and it was clear and very flat. And you'd try to pick it out of your cup out of your canteen, and it was real small and slimy and thin. And he said it was, it was really, uh, you know, it was durable. You could put it between two rocks and rub the rocks and try to crush it, but it would still survive. Now, me, I, when I think about that, you know, and it's like, that's just plain gross. And my question was, did you drink it? And it was like, well, you know, if you're really, you know, thirsty and that's all you got, you drink it, but we try not to. Okay, so let's put ourselves where the, the world is affected, where our water that we're used to is polluted. You say, how's that possible? Wormwood will strike, whatever that wormwood is, and he says that the fresh waters, a third of them, will become polluted. Take away a third of the drinking water, that's going to be a problem for people. Add to it that there's smoke, there's haze, and they want to drink, but all of a sudden, water is limited. And there's a great heat. And usually when there's great heat, what do people want to do? They want to drink some more. And so all of this is compounded. Now, put it together, these natural disasters. We know what a, an earthquake can do in one area. We see the pictures. We see the photos. The devastation is amazing. We can see an earthquake out at sea causes a tsunami. We can see how a city, in a matter of minutes, on the left can become what's on the right. We understand devastation. We see what happened in India when all of a sudden, there it is on the left, everything built up, and when the tsunami is done, there's nothing left. Imagine that happening globally. Imagine that happening all over, simultaneously, time and time again. Who's going to be able to help each other out? When we talk about the waters turning red, you can even see it already happening on a small scale. When you go down to Florida and see the beaches this summer, as some of you have done, You've seen that there's been a marine life that has been stacked up on the shore. And that's just in one area. Think of one-third of the waters being affected, of the seas. And God goes on and says, hey, these natural disasters, they are going to just come one after another after another. It's going to be a devastating time. It's going to be like never before. And then we go on and say, wait a minute, there's more to it. There's diseases. Do we even need to talk about what a pandemic can do? Okay, where we talk about, I looked and behold a pale horse, a disease coming. Then him was death and hell followed. And one-fourth of the part of the earth is affected. 
Where we read further on, Jesus said there is pestilences, diseases, where Revelation talks about another judgment, where a noisome and grievous sore fell upon people. You say, this seems too incredible. I remind you that this has happened already in history. If we go all the way back to the book of Exodus, did they not have waters turned to blood? Did they not be affected by grievous sores? Did they not have heat and darkness? And that was, a, that was just ten plagues that struck one region of the world and devastated Egypt. This is worldwide. To say that it can happen, it has already happened. And God has predicted this to say it's going to get worse. There will be famines like never before. You and I have no clue about a famine. We get hungry, we go to the fridge. We get even hungrier, we go and order out. We're not used to all of a sudden what's going to happen. Where Jesus says there's famines. Where he says that it's going to come to a point where one day's wage will get you one Big Mac. How are you going to feed your entire family? Who's going to get the, the bigger portion? How are you going to keep up with it? He describes this area as people being killed with hunger. But not only that, we go on and it says that the suffering and the pain that people will be afflicted with is intensified. He says that men will be scorched with great heat. Let me ask you this. What kind of mood are you in when you're really hot and miserable? You're smiling back at me, but your spouse is looking going, yeah, right. Okay. Your kids are saying, oh, I'm, I'm fine. Your parents are going, no, you're not. People get miserable. They blaspheme. Here he talks about how there will be this locust that will torment for five months That'll brutalize people. Here we read in scriptures that people will gnaw their tongues for pain because of the pains and the sorrows. Horrible time. Devastating time. Where he talks and adds to it that the animals will go crazy. Remember, vegetation is gone, a third of it. The water's affected. What will the animals do? We will read in Revelation that, that men are going to be killed by the beasts of the earth. That they will become crazed by the situation. We, we know in this time period that men will become even more evil than what they are. By the way, do you think that this society is kind of corrupt now? Do you, do you, I shouldn't even ask this question. Do you think D.C. could have an overhaul? Okay. Okay, so we look and they say, now wait a minute, this is what's predicted for the future. It's predicted that people on, a, on an individual basis will get worse and worse and worse. We talked about this passage last week. Let me jump into the book where Jesus says, And because of iniquity that shall abound, many will they'll be cold. Because of the selfishness, who do people become so concerned about? Themselves. Themselves. I was reading an account of some who were in concentration camps. And this one believer was commenting in their, in their writing. They said, the thing that, that devastated them the most is what they became in the concentration camp. When they became desperately hungry, they all of a sudden found themselves not thinking about others, but worried about themselves or their family. And you and I say, well, they shouldn't be like that. We've never had faced those types of situations, but people will as a whole. We, we talk about this where the sixth trumpet says, the rest of men, which were not killed by the plagues, they didn't repent. And look at what he describes they'll be doing. Worshipping devils, idols of gold, silver, brass, not repenting of murders, nor sorceries, fornications, nor other thefts. And they'll come to the point that people will know that God is involved, but instead of turning to him for help, they will blame him and blaspheme him and attack him because of all the problems. And instead of repentance, 
They're mad. That's what the society will become like. Then we have this. We have the persecution that will happen to the Jews. And to anybody who in during that time period becomes a believer, they shall deliver you to be afflicted, shall kill you. You will be hated of all nations, talking to the Jews. Then shall many be offended. They shall betray one another, hate one another. In the text he goes on and talks about brother against brother, mother against child, child against parent. How it'll just be such a devastating time. Revelation talks about, about the believers who follow Jesus Christ, get born again during that time period, that they will die. I saw under the altar of the souls of, the ma- of those who were slain for the word of God. So martyrdom will increase like never before. We read in the book of Daniel that Antichrist will wear out the saints. He has given to make war with the saints, to overcome them. We read as many who would not worship the image of the beast and take the 666, they're going to be killed. Persecution will be an all-time high. But not only that, so will be deception. When my wife and I have been watching a, uh, a series that's dealing with the Church of Scientology. And we've been watching and going, how can people, with, this is our thought, with half a brain, believe that stuff? It's unbelievable. L. Ron Hubbard, who wrote all the Dianetics, before he wrote that, he was a Satanist practicing in occult worship. He then went into writing science fiction. He writes Scientology, and in Scientology, he talks about what the, fu- what the past was and what the future holds. And he talks about how there was an alien spaceship that came to planet Earth, and they wanted to get rid of their undesirables from their planet, so they dropped them off on planet Earth. And then they try to blow them all up by dropping bombs inside the volcanoes. But the people survived and became us, the human race. And what's going to happen in the future is an alien spacecraft will come again from that planet and will take all of those who have evolved into small gods and they will go back to that alien planet. And by the way, guess who becomes the ones that get taken away? The Scientologist. Okay. And I'm looking going, how can you believe this stuff? How does somebody with... with Less than half a brain. Delusion. Delusion, deception. I mean, seriously, folk. There's a lot of deception in this world. Satan's clever. But it's going to even become more. The false prophets shall arise, deceive many. They will say, here's Christ there. Believe it not. There shall arise Christ, false prophets. They'll do miracles. They'll deceive the very elect. The Jews that were chosen. If they didn't understand scripture, they could fall into this. He goes on, he says, Antichrist will come with the working of Satan, lies and wonders, and God will give them... Do you remember how God worked in Pharaoh's heart, gave him some truth, gave him some warning, and Pharaoh refused. And when he refused, it says God hardened his heart. God let him just go his own way. He, as he refused, he got harder and harder and harder. Same thing, this is about the future. God's given warnings. God's given his word. God's given the spirit. And people who reject, reject God's basically going to take his hands off and they're going to do what Proverbs 1 talks about. They'll just get worse and worse and worse. They'll be deluded. They won't respond to any of the truth. All the world will wonder after Antichrist. He does the great wonders and deceives them that dwell upon the earth. So we bring it all together and we wind down this way. How do we get out of this? How do we avoid this future time that's going to be the worst time in all of human history? 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Go there with me. 1 Thessalonians 5 as we wind down here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 
For those who need help, chapter 5 is after chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians. Okay. Chapter 4 is talking about the event called the rapture. Right after he talks about the rapture, when Christians are removed, he goes into chapter 5. And in chapter 5, he's going to give us, how do you get out of this time period? And basically, the conclusion is, you need to be born again. You need to become a believer in Jesus Christ. If that happens, then keep this in mind. If you're a believer, you are not appointed to wrath. Watch what we read the chapter. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, speaking about the last days is his context. The people had been had written to Paul and they said, Paul, are we living in the last days? Because Nero was persecuting people. Christians were dying. They were seeing all kinds of these, these things happening. Okay, they, Mount Vesuvius. There are different things. And they're looking and saying, maybe we're living in that time period. But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when, and again, it's all future. For when they shall say, peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. In other words... There's, you who are believers, you have light. You have understanding. You, you get it. You know what the future holds. You've been told. But those who are of darkness, they don't have a clue. They're thinking peace and safety and the world's going to be a better place and kumbaya, we'll all get together. But sudden destruction. And they will be destroyed. And so he goes on, he makes this comment as he's comparing... He says, therefore, because you have understanding, you know what the future holds. Therefore, let us who are believers not sleep as do the non-believers, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night. And they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also you do. And he goes on and on and on. He's talking about the idea that we as believers, we understand all this. We know what the future holds. So what do we do with it? Well, hey, let's pause and let's think about this. This passage tells us that God, we should be grateful God has warned mankind. That God hasn't just, you know, in heaven chuckled to himself and said, ah, well, we'll, we'll surprise him with the tribulation. Uh-uh. God has laid it out there. It's coming as a thief in the night. It's going to be a horrible period of time. And why has God done that? Why has God told people what it's going to be like? To warn them. To tell them. I mean, you as a parent, you love your kid. You warn them about the dangers of, and you list whatever you have. God, is, as a creator parent, is saying, I want you to avoid this. Out of grace, he's told us. He's let us know what the future holds. But you and I, we sometimes sit back and say, well, wait a minute, maybe it's not going to be that bad, because we look at things around us, and it appears to be relatively calm, if you can call America calm. But it doesn't appear that bad. Do not, do not be fooled by today's calmness. This time of tragedy and chaos, it's coming. It's coming. 
Okay, don't, don't sit back and say, well, I, my job's okay, and you know, family's okay, everybody's okay, and we're doing... This is a reality of the future that the world has, including your co-workers, neighbors, and friends. This is their future, unless they're born again. So we look at it and say, you and I need to take the current opportunities to warn others. We need to let them know what's ahead. That's why he says sudden destruction comes upon them. They shall not escape. But you and I, hey, we're, we're in a different spot. We shouldn't be sitting back and saying, oh, well, I'm okay. I'm going to heaven. How selfish can we be? These people would end up in that time period. Do you want your grandkids to be, live in that period? Do you want your co-workers to live in that time period? None of us. None of us who, who sits back and has any ounce of faith would say, it'll be okay. It's not going to be okay. But we've got to do something in the meantime. We've got to warn them. We've got to tell them. Just because our future is secured doesn't mean we should go to sleep. We should all of a sudden just be preoccupied with this life. By the way, let me add this. If you're listening to this or you're here this morning, you better make sure that you are born again now and not say, you know, wait a minute, I'll just wait. Maybe, maybe you think you're going to outsmart God. And you're going to be like that person who says, I'll wait until I see Antichrist do this. I'll wait until I see 666. I'll wait until I see some of these disasters happen. Then I'll repent of my sin and get saved. Can I say some factual statements to you? That if you're thinking this way, you have no guarantee you're going to live till then. You have no idea that you're even, I, none of us. We don't even know if we'll live till tomorrow. Yes, no? Okay, none of us know that. We hope so. We plan so. I stocked the fridges if I am. Okay. We went and got our milk and bread before the big storm. But we don't know. None of us know. Let me add to this. You don't have a guarantee you would survive the very first few weeks of the tribulation. The very first few weeks are going to be some of the most chaotic, some of the most you know, uh, pandemic episodes in all of the earth. There are seven seals that are going to flood right away. How do you know? How do you know you're going to survive? When he talks about one-third of mankind will die within that first three and a half years, that's a lot of people. How do you know you'll survive till you see the mark of the beast, which is in the middle of the tribulation? How do you know? You say, well, wait a minute, okay? I'll wait until then. I've already showed you passages of Scripture that says the spiritual deception will be at an all-time high. People will, people will be deluded like never before. It'll be amazing because Satan will be let loose on planet Earth. He's, he's somewhat limited now, but he won't be limited in that time period, as we'll see in the next couple of weeks. And he's going to go with all of his might. Think of the delusion that people will have. You, you don't know if you're going to be able to think clearly. You don't know. You sit back and say, well, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait. I'm going to ask you this question. Why are you waiting? Well, I'm waiting because if, if I get saved, my friends will make fun of me. If I get saved, I might have to stop the things I'm doing. If I get saved, then you know, I'm more interested in making money right now. I, wanna, I want more money in a big house. Whatever your reasons for putting off Christ now, they will be amplified in this time period. If you're worried about what your friends will say, if they'll laugh at you, if you follow Christ now, huh, 
the persecution will be worse then. If you're worried and saying, well, I, I want to make money, you will be in a, such a survival mode and you will want to take that mark of the beast and follow him just to be able to get any money like your food to live. If you say, well, wait a minute, I, I, I just want to have fun. Men will not repent of all of their sin because of the delusion, because of the pleasure they think they have. It'll, it'll be like never before. People will give in and give up following pleasure and power and authority and forget Christ. And you say, well, wait a minute, I'll, I'll serve Christ then. It'll be easier to serve Jesus then. No, it won't. It'll cost you a whole lot more to serve Christ then than it is now. Persecution will be an all-time high. There will, be, there will be all kinds of difficulties. You know what the bottom line is this? Today is the day of salvation. This is when you need to get born again. Not wait until then, but right now. Call upon Christ as your Savior. If you're at home, this is the day you need to repent of your sin and ask Jesus to forgive you. He died for you. He gave his life. He wants you not to be appointed to wrath, but to go to heaven with him when he comes back and collects us. He wants everyone here to be born again. Are you? Do you know for sure that you are going to be in heaven? Or might you be left behind? You don't want that. Father, if there's anyone in our midst who has any doubts about their eternal life, I pray that this day that they would take care of that and not roll the dice in a gamble with their future, with their life, with their soul. As your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, if you're here this morning and you are not sure you're on your way to heaven, we have staff that are head over to the side door. They are there willing to take their Bible and show you from the Bible how you can be born again and be guaranteed that you will not face this tribulation. While I continue to pray, please get up, go over there, talk with those individuals. Any at home, contact us, write us, call us. We'll give you the answers from the Bible. Father, I pray. Please help us. Help those of us who are born again, who know that we're saved. Help us to stop being complacent, to stop being selfish, to stop being so focused on this life and this world and the now and put into our lives the thought about what the future holds for others. To be compassionate and caring enough that we would be zealous to get out the word of God, to help to point people to Jesus Christ. I prayed at the beginning, Father, that we would get incentive out of this message. Let that incentive come from your spirit into the hearts of your children right now so that some who are praying with me right now, they have the incentive to go and grab some tracks, to write some emails, to share the gospel, to try to start Bible studies so as to persuade their friends, co-workers, loved ones that they need Christ now. Thank you for the attentiveness of these folk. Give us a safe day as we go our, our, about our ways and to our homes. Bless what fellowship folk may have on their own this evening. And do keep us safe during this storm if it develops the way they say. Father, bring us back together for Bible study on Wednesday, for the fellowship with the ladies on Thursday, for other events that may take place. Help us to serve you to our best if you should tarry. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. God bless.